guys, and welcome to the Because Maybe podcast, the podcast that takes a look at all things 90s and answers the most important questions of the decade. Because maybe one day we will all be older too. I'm your host, John Connolly. Thank you for whoever you are, wherever you are, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. This week, we have a decent show for you. Actually, we have a great show for you. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, we look at our final part in our look at Britpop, uh, where we look at the peak and decline. Uh, we have some more information on the Movember Drive, and we look at an incident that scarcely believed happened. Um, if you guys are on social media, uh, why not give us a like and a share? We are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+. We even have a YouTube channel, which I'm going to start uploading videos to in the next couple of days. I think I figured out what went wrong, so yay. Uh, but yeah, if you are not like, if you haven't liked and shared any of that, please do. It'll give us a little bit of a boost, reach more people, get more listens on, so on and so forth. You know, again, we are interested in growing. I am looking forward to each and every person's feedback, and I love hearing that people have listened to us. And the only way I can do that is to, you know, increase our numbers. But yeah, if you are on social media and you have listened and you have not liked our pages... Please do, it'll just give us an extra shot in the arm that we need to kind of move forward. Uh, if you guys have any ideas in which to support the podcast, we are also looking for some more uh, help uh, in terms of helping us with social media on Facebook. We're not looking to hire someone, but we're looking for somebody to just give us some pointers. You know, So if you know how to run a Facebook page, please let us know. Uh, Give us an email because maybe podcast at gmail.com just so we can have a look and you know throw out some ideas. Also, if you have a YouTube channel, again, I'm looking for, for some help to try not to get around their rules, but to make sure I don't run afoul of them uh, again. Uh, last week's podcast, man, um, we had a lot of feedback and a lot of, a lot of people who were, you know, into it. And I want to thank Ned, who uh, pretty much gave us a complete and utter shout out. And, you know, for the pe- people who know Ned, you know, he's, he's kind of a big deal. Uh, to quote The Simpsons, he's kind of a big shot at the Cracker Factory. But um, no, he, he's he's a really, really good guy. He's an encyclopedia of music and pop culture. Um, he used to run the old uh, Oasis message board for all internet people back in the mid-90s. And similar ones for bands like Suede and so on. And for him to give us a shout-out is very, very humbling. And I sincerely thank him for doing that. Also, we have the results of the social media question. And I am absolutely shocked by this. Uh, what was the best album of Britpop? With 45% of the vote, Oasis, What's the Story, Morning Glory. I'm surprised by that. I thought that it would be closer than it was, and for the longest time it was neck and neck w- between The Verve and Oasis. But seeing how little uh, love Pulp and Blur got, and in fact I know personally that one of the votes for Blur, and I know this guy got a message about it, one of the votes for Blur was supposed to go to Morning Glory. So Blur got a vote uh, Pulp got a vote, and Urban Hymns and Morning Glory kind of split the rest of them. According to the Because Maybe podcast, the winner of the best album of Britpop is What's the Story, Morning Glory. Color Me Shocked, I thought different class was, but there you go. Um, also, I've got a couple of house cleaning things. Remember a couple of weeks ago I corrected myself with the Tia Correa story? Well, last week on the podcast, Sarah said this. And we went to this awesome little, um resale shop a cd resale shop because that's what we did back then kids um called fingertips in uh, long beach and she was almost right i don't want to call people out wrong uh you know you gotta understand it was many many years ago that uh she walked into a very very nondescript great music place in southern california uh but according to ned 
there's only one thing minor, and the store's called Fingerprints. Now, there's a part of me that's giggling. If you've not seen the Animaniacs, go watch it right now. You'll understand what I mean. Uh, but yes, the store is called Fingerprints, not... Uh, I can't remember what you called it. You just listen to it, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, <laughs> also, um, one thing Sarah also did say was Damon actually won the Britpop War, personally, and looked it over, and she is absolutely correct. Damon Albarn is the biggest selling artist to come out of the Britpop scene. Uh, his combined album sales between Blue, The Gorillas, The Good, The Bad, and The Queen, and every other little side project that he's done totals over 68 million copies. Whereas Noel Gallagher totals only 65 million copies. So, you know, that's that's a huge big deal. And, yeah, Damon Albert is the champion of Britpop. Now, Blue won't, but Damon is. So, uh, that's where we're going. But enough of me rambling. I've rambled for a couple of minutes here. We have got a lot to talk about. And this is going to be our longest segment yet. I'm going to try and keep it short. That's one of the reasons why we've got no trivia again this week. But um, here we are with our final, final description of Britpop. Hey guys, quick disclaimer before we get started. Um, I'd like to apologize. Uh, Some of the audio issues that we had last week have come back to haunt us this week. Um... I had no time to recut the audio after I found out we had a bad cable, and now you can hear I'm sounding a lot better. Um, unfortunately, my portion of the audio is going to sound a little bit compressed and a little bit dull, um, but the conversation is still good, and I hope you enjoy listening to it, and hopefully, knock on glass, because I've got a glass table, hopefully we won't encounter these again. I just wanted to give you a heads up if you think, man, this audio sounds really, really bad. Did he listen to it? Or Yeah, I did listen to it. It doesn't sound great, but unfortunately it's the best I can do uh, with the tools that I have. Uh, for all musicians and producers out there, always check your cables. No matter how good you think they are, they could turn to, well, crap like they have been. So I hope you enjoy our discussion about Britpop. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Cultural Impact So here we are, the final part of our agony-inducing long look. <laughs> at perhaps the greatest music scene to come out of Great Britain in the mid-90s, the only music scene to come out of Great Britain I in the mid-90s. Say, yeah, yeah. I am joined There's once so again. so much competition. Right. I am joined once again by the wonderful Sarah, who is here to keep me sane and to keep me in check, and to basically explain some things as we get later on in the episode, and I'm looking forward to being schooled. <laughs> it's like a regular Thursday night. Oh, stop it, you. Hello. So, are you doing okay, sir? You had a good week? I am fabulous. I'm for the folks listening in. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm still battling this darn cold. So um, if I sound a little stuffy or if, I, if I'm if i a little airheaded, my apologies. And this week we also hope to have a better sound than what we had last week. We did have one or two issues that, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't avoid. All fixed. All fixed. Hopefully so. Um, so you ready to dive into this? Let's do it. Okay, last week we left off. Uh, let me rephrase that. Two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I left off mm-hmm. with the 1995 Brit Award, which is where uh, Blur mopped the floor with everybody, and they wanted to share their Great British Music Act with Oasis, and Oasis told them that they were a bunch of and they shouldn't have done that. Right. And now... We kind of move forward a little bit, and we start heading towards one of the biggest rivalries in British music. Mm. What happened during that year is that both bands went back into the studio and started recording more and more new material. 
uh, Oasis were recalled in uh, What's the Story, Morning Glory, and Blur were recalled in The Great Escape. Yes. During that time, Oasis fired drummer Tony McCarroll because they didn't like him, or he wasn't good enough, right. or what, whatever reason you, you want to give, and they replaced him with Alan White. And his drumming enhanced the Oasis sound, at least for those first couple of albums. Before it kind Absolutely. Of got, before it kind of got stale, and then they had started using drum machines to kind of direct him as to what they wanted him to play. I think, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but during that time, they had the Glastonbury gig that we spoke about last week, where Oasis completely tanked. Um, was that McCarroll? No, that was Alan White playing. But he was new then, right? He was still green Yeah, I think it was like his first or second gig. Yeah. But then again, he was the best pure musician of the band, though. Right. I mean, but they, they res- broke him in at Glasto, though. That's kind of... Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, their voice bases would be broken in. Sink or swim. And he, he was actually, believe it or not, he was one of the highlights of that gig. Okay. I mean, like I said, his drumming that you hear in the instrumental Swamp Song yeah. is, I know you don't like it, but that is the, the drums, the drums at Glastonbury is what you hear on the record. So, um, but everything was building up. Oasis released, uh, some might say, in April, I think, I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their first number one single, uh, everybody, everything was going fine. And then August came around. As it does once, once a year. And let's just say this. It was fever pitch in the UK at this time. I mean, when you spoke about, not not the movie, obviously, uh, but right. when you spoke about music, it was, sides were drawn. You know, the lines were there, the the, the, the tribes were forming. You were either a Blue fan or you were an Oasis, Oasis fan, excuse me. Very few people were both. We right. take that whole football tribal thing to every, Yes, everything. you do. Yes, this yes, was, this you was do. Like, this was, just like our house, this was Arsenal versus Manchester City. And at the time, Arsenal were great. Yes. You know, we didn't have Russian owners. Um, <laughs> That's but, okay. We we certainly didn't have uh, Middle Eastern owners at that point either. No, you didn't. You guys were actually in the third division at that point. Well, not that point, but you were getting that way. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, basically put, in uh, September and October, Oasis and Blur would release The Great Escape, and what story morning glory. Mm-hmm. But before that happened, there was a little bit of a an event, shall we say, that the British music media and the British media just lapped up and took to ridiculous heights. As they are wont to do. It is the infamous Battle of Britpop. Yes. Now a little bit of a background on this. Oasis announced Roll With It would be released on the 14th of August, 1995. Mm-hmm. Blur had originally planned to release their single, Country House, on August 21st. However, shenanigans played a part in this. Obviously. And shenanigans everywhere. The, the Country House single and Roll With It were scheduled to be released on the same day. Now, this is how bad that the band started to dislike each other. Noel had already said some of his stupid comments that he made about uh oh god yes about how he wishes they'd catch AIDS, which back yes. in the 90s, not excuse it now, you can't say something like that now, but back then that was a common insult that people used in Manchester, as wrong as it is, as completely uh-huh. wrong as it is. Uh-huh. Um, but also insert mini eye rolls here. Like... But also the the bands couldn't play in the same town. Oh no, no, I knew that. There was, there was, I mean, there was, I mean, this was literally again. This was like Millwall and West Ham for you football fans back home. This was, there was tribal, yeah. absolutely tribal. And I mean, they would have gotten. Here's the thing, though. Um, Oasis fans were a bit more 
rugged than the Blur fans were. Are you saying that Oasis fans ranked higher on the BNP level than the Blue fans did? No. Don't you put me there. <laughs> Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. That is right. not what I'm telling you. What I'm saying... For the American listeners, you have to understand that the dichotomy that is the American um, landscape is swapped in the UK, meaning that when you think of America, you know, up north, we're not counting California in this, but up north, you've got more of your, um, your, your well-to-do people, right? And then down south, you've got your more working class, you know, whatnot. You know, you work with your hands, your tradesmen, your laborers type Basically, for, you, for UK people listening, it's, you know, in the United States, it's them northern shandy drinkers. Okay. <laughs> uh. Right? So, um, it's completely opposite over there. Like, down south is where London is, and that's where a lot of your, you know, your business people are, corporations and whatnot, and people are very white collar. Yes. But at up north is, you know, that's where traditionally all the mills were and things like that. And so it's very blue collar. That's where all the rivers were too, though. Right. Well, it's just why the mills were there. <laughs> I mean, steam power and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, Lord, help me. Okay. So, but it's it's just opposite, you know. Yeah. The, the, yeah. So, um, basically, the way that I could put it so that my American, you know, peeps will... will be able to picture it clearly. Imagine a group full of diehard, you know, Alabama Skinnerd fans, right? (laughs) (laughs) And about to go to war with some... Journey fans. No, no, Jersey people. They will, folks, they'll catch you. Especially those from South Detroit. Right? Well, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, Journey, Bon Jovi, all those. No, but um, who would who 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 could I pick? E- I don't know anybody from. I don't know any bands from that area of the world. From up north. Okay, so like it's okay. Say you've got some diehard. It's like, okay, it's like REM like, fans fighting the skin at Alabama folks. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Or like, you know, folks that you would see at a Skinner concert versus a Dave Matthews Band concert. Right, that's, that's a great that's a, that's a great Okay, so you've got, you know, they're both very fanatical about their music, but one set of people would be more inclined to bust a beer bottle over your head and slice your tires than the other one. It's yeah, ju- it just is. Yeah, that that's probably why Oasis kind of resonated with a lot of working class folk. Well, yeah. You know, more than Blur did. Because remember, what was that quote? They're so hard, they'll steal your hubcaps. Right. (laughs) But Which when I was 14 and Southern female, I was like, that that meant something like, (laughs) I was like, why would they say such a, anyway, go ahead. Which is, and and the thing is, 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 like I said, the thing is, I mentioned this last week and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, you know, even my jokey, my favorite working class, middle class band, Blue came from Southend, which I understand is not the most working class of working class places in the world. Right. But they did go to your local school with no money. They did grow up poor and everything like that. Now, obviously, they, they must have had something because one of the members got saxophone lessons. Uh, you, know, you, don't, you don't just pick <laughs> right. up the saxophone and start playing. But um, so all this was going on. All the, you know, the tribal stuff was going on. And then, boom, the two biggest bands in the country are going head to head with the singles. 
Now, as I mentioned last week, in the UK, singles were done by sales and physical copies back then. And so, they went head-to-head from Monday to Saturday. And the final result... 270,000 to 220,000. Chart places number one and two. The winners were... Blur. In an upset shock. A lot of people didn't give them a chance. I mean, Oasis were the big thing and Blur came out and boom, 50,000 more copies. But there were issues. Yes, there were issues. Now... Some people still call BS on that. A lot of people still call bullshit on it. You know, it's... it's, it's... And here's the thing. Uh, there's a book that if you are an Oasis fan and have not read it, I completely 100% recommend. It is called Getting High by Paolo Hewitt. Mm-hmm. And in that book, because he was close to the band, he toured with the band, and he was, you know, he, he wrote this really, really wonderful book, goes behind the scenes without being too creepy. Right. You know, it's, it was, it's a proper band biography, proper on-the-road thing, blah, blah, blah. And in that book, uh, several claims by the Oasis camp were made. Yes. Um, well, the enemy had colluded with Blur's label, Food Records, to change the release date and to artificially create competition to begin with. And that's true, I think, because the amount of records that they, the amount of copies that they sold of previous singles right. weren't that, that great. Now, afterwards right. it was, but before that, uh, I mean, some might say did not sell 250,000 copies. Right. That, that was unheard of. Singles selling a couple of hundred thousand copies at that time was completely utterly unheard of. And also, you've got to realize that, I mentioned this last week, the NME and Blur were so far intertwined that... You couldn't tell where one began and the other exactly. one ended, right? Exactly. But you also had the, you know, the issues with the barcodes on yes. the roll with its CDs. Here's the thing. So, you, you know, a lot of the people, they're scanning the copies of the CDs and the, and the barcodes weren't working, but they were still being sold. You yeah. know, the, the, the cashier was just hand-keying it in, selling it. Off you pop. And handkeying it in did not register to the database that right. judges the chart outlook. The Oasis camp also believes that the numbers of Blur's sales were artificially inflated because Blur released two different editions of Country House at the same time. Mm. Now, I'm a Travis fan. We'll get to Travis later on in this. But they used to do that all the time, too. They'd release uh, two versions of a CD and they'd release four B-sides. Right. With each CD having three tracks on it. So to get all four B-sides, you had to buy both copies. Right. So that's what Blur did. They released four B-sides, or, or six B-sides, I should say, because you were allowed four tracks on a CD back then. That's another story for another day. Uh, yeah, see, remember, I mean, the US, we weren't singles people, so... Okay, let's give you a quick lesson in singles in the UK. Do, it used do, to be... Do, do, do. It used to be when you used to buy a tape or a record, you'd have an A-side yeah. and a B-side. Correct. With the... Ad- with the advent of CDs, you had A-sides, right. and then you had additional tracks that they, they called B-sides. B-sides, well, yes. I don't know when in the 90s they made the rule, but the rule was you could have up to four tracks on an individual CD to call it a single. If not, then it would be an EP. Yes. Okay, so, now I got you. All right. So Blue would release six B-sides for every track. Every single that they released had... So they would do two versions. Exactly. Travis used to do the same, Sarah Fonis used to Oasis were, were quote-unquote, pure in that regard as they released one copy with three additional songs. Now, those additional songs could be original songs, they could be remixes, they could be live well, yeah, things, you know, yeah. whatever it was. But B-sides are traditionally more of a, I don't know, European or a British thing, because and in a couple of weeks I'm going to be talking about uh, Animal of the State by Blink-182. Not Britpop, I know. But, um... When I was doing the research into, you know, 
the singles that they released and the B-sides that they released, I looked through and I said, oh, this is a B-side. And then I looked through it even further and that song was released five years earlier. It was just, a, you know, taken from a different album, just re-putting it out there. So there's no B-side <laughs> culture in, you know, in, in, in the U.S., which is a shame, really, because you there guys... There is and there isn't. I mean, it's so it's more bands than, other, you know, than others. I mean, R.E.M. did do some B-sides. Right. But it, it really depends on the band. It really does. But, I mean, if, if B-sides are awesome. That's... We have more EPs, though. That's true. That's true. But going back to what we were talking about, right. again, another thing that upset the Oasis camp was during that week, uh, Blue were secretly trying to pull some strings behind the scenes. Color me shocked. Well, you know what the Help album is? Yes. Help album, as I mentioned last week, was a great album. It was a charity album. Uh, full of covers, indiv- uh, original material, so on and so forth. And it was recorded on like a Monday, mixed on a Tuesday, released on a Wednesday, something like that, right? And it was for the uh, War Child charity. Right. And during that time, Blur, who ironically were not on that album, they weren't invited, mm-hmm. which says a lot. Right. Considering that Oasis were invited, Elastica were invited, Suede were invited, Paul Weller, Paul McCartney. Right. You know, all these great acts were invited. Blur weren't. And Blur complained and tried to change the designation of the Help album from an actual album to more of a compilation album, and it would be registered differently in the album. Those sneaky lovers. Uh Uh-huh. That's that's another reason why why they didn't like each other. Oasis were already that the other things happened. Then, boom, this thing comes out about the Help album. Now, there's just a bunch of petulant children just, at the time. Just a bunch yeah. of petulant children. Now, Blur failed in their their um their way to get that, but they did win the Battle of Britpop. And sadly, for Blur, that was the high point for them in terms of the Britpop era. Right. They won the battle, but they spectacularly lost the war. And in fact, in my opinion, they finished third place. Um, because what happened is Morning Glory and The Great Escape were released a couple of months later. Right. And, once again, Enemy Influence, Blur's album, was received okay by a lot of other publications, but Enemy was like, this is the greatest album since Jesus, you know, it was the, the best thing that had ever been written. And Morning Glory was just another, eh, just another generic rock album, whereas the other outlets kind of gave it an okay review, but nothing grandstanding. Right. And then... Fast forward a couple of weeks. Fast forward around about the time that Blur released, um, I th- think it was The Stereotypes was the second single off The Great Escape. And Oasis released Wonderwall. And that's yeah. when opinion changed. So I yeah. don't... I, <sighs> <laughs> I can see it. That's when opinion changed when Morning Glory and Oasis became the band in all the music press, including The Enemy. And Blur just became... To quote, uh, to quote Alex James, Damon Albarn became a loser publicly. He was the people. He was the people's champion. Now he's the people's. Right. So, um, but that and now of... he's laughed all the way to the bank. Oh, he's so... laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> but uh, basically, at at that point, the feud between both the bands was very, very was it, it wasn't about music anymore. It was very, very, very personal. And that is how Damon Albarn became the Roman Reigns of Britpop. <laughs> For all my wrestling fans out there. Oh, my word. Yeah. You just put him back together with the band and everyone loves him. Right. Uh, 
But for the rest of that year, you know, uh, the Britpop scene poodled on like it did. You know, everybody got their stuff in. You had Paul Weller, you had Pulp, uh, all these other new bands started, started forming and started right. getting their attention that they needed. And we move on to one of the most shambolic award ceremonies ever. The 1996 Brit Awards. Like the year before, one band cleaned up. Yes. This time it was Oasis. Yes. They finally took their crown. They won Best British Album, Best British Video, and Best British Band. Yes. Now, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Brit Awards, they did, they kind of had two awards for every category. Right. Focusing on the British side and then focusing on international. Right. U2 were considered both British and international for the purpose of the award. Because technically Ireland is the British Isles, mm-hmm. even though it's not the country of Britain. Right. It's technically British Isles. And of course, because Ireland is not Britain, it's international. Right. So. Well, that's just an excuse to give Bono twice his <laughs> stuff. I mean. Hello, I'm Bono. I want an award now. Uh, Remind me another time to explain my um, theory about why Bono. I love Bono, but Bono's the Antichrist. <laughs> we'll, we'll, another deal. We'll do that another time, yes. but it's it's actually quite funny. Yes. Uh, Pulp and Blue are nominated for each of those categories, but they don't win anything. Poor Jarvis. Which, poor, poor Jarvis. Jarvis, oh. Yeah, Jarvis got to be, though, at Hogwarts, so not so poor Jarvis. <laughs> well, so did Ian Brown, though. Ian Brown was at the League of Calder. Oh, sorry. Ian Brown did not make it to Hogwarts. No, but he was there stirring a spoon with his finger. Well, that's fine, but he was at the League of Calder. Once again, Ian Brown on, t- on TV show and he can't handle, handle an instrument. <laughs> uh, every award that Oasis picked up, they taunted someone. Uh, whether it be host, renowned worldwide ginger Chris Evans, <laughs> and Blur. When they picked up one of the awards, they said they wanted to dedicate this to all, all the, the people. people. Who walk around in life. So, yes. shots well and truly fired. They, they, well, yeah, but, but Blur it, asked for it. The Blur asked for it. And at that time, I mean, Oasis were completely and utterly riding high. Don't Look Back in Anger was number one single. Right. And one of the biggest selling singles in British music history. We mentioned the two hundred, the 220,000 that Oasis sold for Roll With It was ex- absolute chicken feed. Compared to what Don't Look Back in Anger actually sold. Right. When it was said and done. Um, the show, however, is utter, utter chaos. Uh-huh. That's what happens when you put a bunch of loud, obnoxious, drunk, and high people in a room and have them give them a live mic. Yes. And free reign to do whatever they want to. Because here's yes. the thing, a lot of these artists are on smaller, quote-unquote, independent labels. So what's going to happen? It's not going to be some Sony guy walking up to you going, uh, you can't do that because it's against our corporate image. Alan McGee was probably encouraging the guys to get right, up on stage and do right. controversy, you know? Um, also, what happened at the show, the most famous moment was not <laughs> Oasis picking up all these awards, was not Blur getting taunted oh. out the building, was not Chris Evans mercilessly mocked for being ginger all night. Jarvis Cocker, yes. the man. Okay, this is kind of weird, and to all my Michael Jackson fans who are listening to this, we're dealing with facts, we're not dealing with innuendo. Let's, I just want to make that right. clear. Okay. Michael Jackson had not had recently been cleared of pedophilia allegations. Let me rephrase that. He had recently settled out of court right. his pedophilia accusations. It wasn't actually cleared. It never went to court. It never went to court. He actually... He, 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 See, that's just... And, and there's people in the news today, like former um, show host on political 
channels that today have had issue, not with pedophilia, but paying off, paying off people. And, you know, I have proof that I didn't do it. Well, if you have proof that you didn't do something, why'd you pay it off? Then just show the proof and be done. I mean, be vindicated, you know, come at me, bro. But I'm, you know, whichever that's new here and there. So Michael Jackson was performing earth song and he had a gaggle of children around him. And he was kind of dressed like a Christ-like figure. Yes. Which, the video to this is in the blog from last week. Which Noel Gallagher said, and I quote, Who the f*** does he think he is? Me? Uh, <laughs> well, Jervis decided that he'd had He's enough. He's not having this. He walked up on stage. Yes. Pick uh, Remember I mentioned last week he's the ultimate hipster with the tweed suits. Yes. So he lifted up the tails of his tweed suit. Of course he did. Bent right over and wiggled his straight in Michael Jackson's face. Yes. Well, sort of. Towards the camera, Michael Jackson was floating in air at this point (laughs) above the people. Watch the video. Yeah. Michael Jackson considered it like the height of disrespect. But Jarvis's point was we don't need some foreign type coming over here who's just been cleared of pedophilia charges, or just gotten away from pedophilia Dancing charges. Dancing on the stage with children. Uh, on live TV, treated like some kind of hero. Right. And that's what he did. I mean, the event also had future Prime Minister and pain and <laughs> Tony Blair in attendance. Yes. So think about this. All the drugs, all the champagne, and then you have the future Prime Minister of Great Britain. It's, it's a recipe for a memorable evening. Let's just put it this way. Let me ask you this. and compl- We've got to remember the time period. Right. right here, okay? Because... Tony Blair was, and I quote, a hip young leader at the time. Whether yes. you like him now or not, he was this I, young I, charismatic. I don't have a problem with Tony. A lot of people in Britain do because of the Iraq debacle. Gotcha. Um, and it was the same way with uh, Mr. Clinton in the right. early 90s. So let me, put, let me put it to you this way. Imagine 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Grammys. Drugs. Alcohol. Chaos environment. And there's Bill sitting with Hillary in the corner going... I could do this. You know, just... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, it was absolute, absolute chaos. But it did start leading to uh, British pop culture being taken seriously around the rest of the world. It wasn't just music. It was everything. Right. I mean, it morphed into... I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. The best way I can describe it is when Google became Alphabet and then Google again, right? Mm-hmm. It started off as this big musical movement and then morphed into a big pop culture movement that now the Britpop scene was a part of rather than... Right. The whole, it, was, it was the cherry on the cake rather than the whole cake. Right. Um, everything British was cool. Which is weird because we are the most uncool people on the planet. <laughs> uh, you know, our singers were cool. Our actors were cool. Our movies were cool. Our books were cool. Right. I mean, you had Goldeneye Train Spotted, the two two of the biggest British movies of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you had um, British supermodels and designers were starting to be more sought after. They hadn't been sought out since the seventies. Right, Kate Moss and Kate Naomi Moss, Campbell. Naomi Campbell. Uh, our flag became a fashion statement. Yes. Which is absolutely weird, you know, because there's a lot of people in the United Kingdom and around the world that consider the Union Jack a symbol of oppression. It was now one of the heights of fashion, you know. Um, novelists were being treated very, very respectfully. Now, I know people say, well, British people are supposed to be the most sophisticated people in the world. <laughs> but our novelists weren't taken seriously at that time. Right. And, you know, but then you had people like Irvin Welsh, Nick right. Hornby. Right. They were, you know, they were kind of, for lack of a better term, leading the charge. Right. And, you know, more gritty, down-to-earth, first-person, you know, just just more realistic stuff that people latched onto. 
Um, it also led to, like I mentioned, Tony Blair was in the audience, and he was seen as a cool, hip young leader. And after 20 years of, you know, 20 years of, of the Tories, and of right. John Major, and of Thatcher, and this kind of needle in the working class, you had this young, bright, energetic, charismatic, left-wing, lefty politician who swept to power. Well, yeah, but look at it this way, though. This is what... <laughs> From an outsider looking in, and feel free to correct me, because, again, I'm sure. an outsider looking in at this point. You know, look at who won the Battle of Britpop. Yeah. Okay? So your your working class is feeling vindicated as hell at the yeah. moment, right? And everything is awesome. And, you know, hoo-yah. You know what I mean? So they go in and they sweep British people. Their, their band choices at the time were just as important as their football choices. I can see that. You know what I mean? It, it, it did seem like a lot of the guys in the bands walked off the, the building site straight into the pub, put a guitar on and started singing. Right. Yeah. Right. And everybody could identify very strongly with the band that they chose at the time. True. You know, just on a personal level. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, to, to be to have been a working class person at the time, it must have seemed, you know, yeah. like... Hell yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the Tories are out. Labor's coming in. True. You know, my, my band's on top. My team might not be, but that's okay. We got another day. <laughs> Especially if your team was City. Woo! Uh, if, you, if you were Manchester United or Arsenal around about that time, your team was in. Uh, yeah. Not anymore. Well, especially for <laughs> Arsenal. <coughs> Linger out. Uh, <laughs> but, what, but that's weird, though, because... Here's the thing, a lot of the working class Britain in the UK at that time, and you can even look today, I guess, I mentioned earlier, I joked about it, but they rank very, very high on the UKIP scale, you know, on... on... Right, but at the time, UKIP wasn't as prevalent as it is today. And at the time, they knew what Thatcher had done to them. True. So you run the opposite direction. The, the the enemy of my enemy is my friend, as you say. Right. I mean, this is the thing. For, for those, those folks who don't understand, um, Wales had, I think it was 24 seats in, in Parliament at the time. Now, I could be wrong. Somebody correct me. I know somebody will. But I'm, 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 I'm just using this figure as a ballpark figure. So, you know, it's just number. Right. Um, the Tories did not win a single seat in Wales in the 1997 general election. Wow. And to counteract that, th- this th- the last year, Wales voted overwhelmingly for Brexit. So <laughs> it's, kind of, you know, it's kind of the enemy of my enemy is a friend. But um, also... needs a friend indeed. Right. But also other music started popping up. Great British pop music started taking the scene. You had Robbie Williams coming out of Take That. Right. You had All Take Saints. That to begin Take with. Take That to begin with. Well, they, they right. were a little bit before, and they were huge, but they didn't... They, they they were huge. Okay, yeah. Once You Back, though, was in the 90s. True. No, yeah, I mean, we're talking 93 to 95. Right. It's just when Robbie left Take That, Take That went... <laughs> there were people who actually, like, tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Just like... When one of the members left, the next group we're going to be talking about very, very quickly. Just like when Jerry Halliwell tried to leave the Spice Girls. I did leave the Spice Girls. The Spice Girls led the 
quote-unquote pop movement, not the Britpop movement, the Spice Girls-led British pop music movement. This is what we this is what we need to clarify right now. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, right? Let's 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 be completely serious. Were the Spice Girls a bunch of working class men and women when they put the band together? Yes. They came. Oh, some of them came from yes. So that's one strike. Wait, one strike wait how is that a strike? One strike four. That's one four. Okay. Okay, strike means different something to me. Sorry. So what's it? One four. One okay. four. Were they organically created or were they put together by a record label? They auditioned, so that would be one against. One against. Okay. Did they play their own musical instruments and or write their own material? Okay, another against. Okay. Did they sing or predominantly push working class elements into their music or was it just standard normal pop music? I mean, it was girl stuff. I mean, it was... Right. But Britpop wasn't all boy stuff. Even though the majority of the, the, the writers and the singers were men, right. it wasn't all male stuff. Now, Round Alway, obviously, it's 25 aside before it's dark. Very few of my female friends play 25 aside <laughs> football. <laughs> okay, I'll give you another. Okay. Against. Three to one. Uh-huh. The Spice Girls, scientifically proven on this podcast, were not Britpop. However... Don't take away their influence on British popular music at the time. Okay, here's the thing. Here's where you need to chill out and have a seat. Have several seats. Take a bench. I'm having a Coke and a smile. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Are they the technical British guitar rock? Britpop? No, they are not. You're correct on that. However, to the rest of the world... Again, perception is reality. They were pop music, and they were British. Ergo, bread pop. Now, is that right? Is that technically right? Am I going to get, you know, hate tweets? Possibly. But at the end of the day, they were British, and they were pop. So to some people in the world, perception being reality, they were Brit pop. I'm not going to give you a Twitter handle, though. Don't worry. You're not going to get hate <laughs> tweets. But here's why I disagree in the sense that if this movement had been called any other name, and right. the Spice Girls were referred to as Britpop, then yeah, you'd have all, all day, every day. But, it's like the comparison I made a couple of weeks ago. TLC were getting big in the UK around about the right. same time as Nirvana. Right. They weren't grunge. They were just an American act getting popular worldwide at the same time, even though the big movement coming out of America was grunge. Okay, but so no, if no, no, mo- no, 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 you can't, no, you can't use that as a thing. If this movement, if this movement was called dead rock, which is another, which was a term that was used to describe Britpop artists, if it was described as dead rock, and then the Spice Girls, All Saints, etc., were called Britpop, then yeah, I'd agree with you. It's the terminology that was used to define the genre started to be loosely thrown to every single British popular act at the same time, whereas the actual right because the abbreviation is british popular ergo brit pop right i mean tlc couldn't be considered called grunge but if it was you know 
and pop, then well, technically you could but outside. I'm, I'm, that's, that's fine. But like I said, the, I'm not saying you're no, wrong. No. I'm just telling you why people will disagree with you. No, I know. And I'm, tr- I'm and that's why we do this podcast. We're going to yes. educate people on correctities. But, <laughs> right. But I adore my Spice Girls. The, the Spice Girls were, I think, one of the more important. I mean, you have to enjoy your camp. Yeah. You know, I mean, did I, or do I take them absolutely seriously? Do I take no. them absolutely No. But they're, they're a fun, they're a fun group to bounce around, listen to, and. Hey, the 11... You know, crank it up while you're driving down the road. Hey, 11-year-old me liked the Spice Girls, you know. <laughs> Did you know? Yeah, but a lot of 11-year-old folks <laughs> liked them. And, and, and you could obviously guess why. They were five young, they were five young ladies. I was, I was a young man just discovering stuff. But, I mean, what I mean by I like the Spice Girls, I mean, I didn't run around, you know. I wouldn't turn them off if they came on the radio. Right. Like, I started getting snobby a few years after that and would have done it. Oh, you, know? you are such... I am such a musical he snob. He is, guys, I don't he care. Is. Oh. I'm proud of my musical snobbery. Keeps the uh, music, musical juices pure. Uh, <laughs> so, going back to... Let's go back to, um, you know, to everyone. And I mentioned in the first episode that the peak of the baggy movement, the shoegazing movement, mm-hmm. the whatever, was the Spike Island gig. Right. And let's just say that this gig was ten times that. Okay. Um, the media dubbed it two hundred and fifty thousand Oasis fans can't be wrong. Right. And what that what that meant is that they played two sold out gigs at Nebworth Park. Yes. Nebworth Park was one of the well, it's the biggest music venue in the United Kingdom. Strange enough, doesn't do too many gigs. I mean, it's not used every single tour right. for every single year. It's one of those you mentioned Roman Reigns earlier. For my pro wrestling fans, it's like getting a steel cage out to end the rivalry. <laughs> you know, you can only play at Nebworth Park if you are that big, if right. you are that huge. And, I mean, it was huge. 2.5 million people <whistles> applied for tickets. One thirtieth of the British population applied for tickets to go to a concert. Right. One of two concerts. One in ten people who applied for tickets were disappointed. So let me phrase that. Nine out of ten people who applied for tickets were disappointed. Oh, That's, that's huge. Bless. That, but that, that's huge. Right. That's, I mean, that's absolutely huge. That is huge. Um, the event was seen as kind of the, the party of Britpop, for lack of a better term. Right. Um, on night one, you had a combination. I mean, I mean, the support acts even were kind of showing how 90s music was evolving in the UK, our mentalities. Right. Because you still had the tribal of which bands you like and which bands you didn't right. like. Right. But as I'm a musical snob, as I've been pointed out, <laughs> people who are musical snobs like one genre of music. Or maybe, you know, one or two genres of music in, in, a, in a bubble. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, this you had Ocean Color Scene, which were a Britpop act. Manic Street Preachers, who were not a Britpop act, who were a more hard rock punk act at the time. Right. You had the Bootleg Beatles, <laughs> cover band for some inconsequential band from Liverpool in the 60s. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, then you had the Chemical Brothers and the Prodigy. Now, was this post... No, this was before Noel did the Chemical Brothers song, wasn't it? It was D-Run. Okay. They it were... was D-Run. In fact, uh, the Chemical Brothers toured with Oasis throughout the Morning Glory tour. Okay. Which, again, Oasis is this rock band, Chemical Brothers... 
you shot sat up on stage and there's two guys on a platform with DJ equipment. Right. You couldn't do that now. You wouldn't yeah, see but... that. You wouldn't necessarily see that now. Yeah, but Noel's always loved that stuff. True. I mean, you the know. The Hacienda in Manchester. That's the place where folks will get eat up. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, um, I mean, he met his current wife in Belize, right? Yeah. yeah. I think so. so. Yeah, but... on, on the dance floor. So it's it's that whole... But, I mean, it was a huge celebration. Right. You know, that was night one. And night two, you had Cast, Dread mm-hmm. Zone, Cooler Shaker, once again, the Manic Street Preachers, and the Charlatans playing. So, yes. you know, it was it was this huge, huge event. Uh, different styles of music. You know, it wasn't genre-based. It was just, at that time, there was good music, and there was bad music. Right. And the... And now the, I have Tatva stuck in my head. Thank you. Well, we'll play, I'll, I'll play it for you later. Okay. But, um, you know... Ironically, they were the biggest concerts in UK history, and right. that record held for seven years until some fat dancer from Take That <laughs> played a third night at Nebworth Park Ooh. at the height of his popularity, which we'll get to here in a minute. But I mean, the Nebworth Park gigs, like the Spike Island gigs, if you've listened to them through bootleg, they're not great. They're good, right? But Far better than, than than what they'd done previously, with the exception of Main Road, but not the hype. They didn't match the hype that was given to them. Well, I mean, it, okay, stop. Well, Is it humanly possible to? No. At that point, th- no. there was nothing that they could have done to match that that hype. Maybe not match the hype, but you if if you're going to be playing the biggest gigs in front of the biggest audiences e- audiences ever, right? That you got to put your A game on. And they kind of did, but it just, it didn't quite click. Well, it I felt mean, like there was something missing the whole time. And Bullnet has actually attributed that to the fact that, you know, he probably needed binoculars to see Noel, you know, to get their cues to do certain parts of certain songs. Right. The stage was huge. Right. Uh, you know, they couldn't see the back of the the uh, the venue. Which, right. you know, which is kind of understandable, considering there's 125,000 people standing in front of you. <laughs> I mean, there's, woo, it goes back a minute. So, I mean, the band themselves weren't happy with the gig. They weren't unhappy with it, but they weren't kind of, they weren't satisfied, I think right. is the best word. But that was the peak. The problem was, now you have Oasis as kings of the Britpop scene. Pulp are there, Suede are there, Elastica are there, Blur are there. But Oasis are kind of being carried on that on the throne by, you know, Liam Gallagher sitting on that throne being carried by all these other guys, right? Right. With Noel whipping them. Right. And so the new bands that... Whitey feed them grapes. Right. <laughs> oh, cheeky chappy cockneys uh-huh. without them. Uh, but the next wave of Britpop came through. Right. Because, you know, now that now that you have these bands, you you know, these bands, have, they, they, they've got to go back into the studio. Right. We need some more bands. Whereas the first wave of Britpop sang about the same stuff, mm-hmm. but sounded different. Right. The second wave of Britpop sounded the same. They right. sounded pretty much, it was all guitar based. It was all rhythm guitar, lead guitar, drums, the occasional keyboard slash piano. And a lot of them had horns and strings, which was an Oasis hallmark in certain songs. Yeah, but you can blame AR guys for that. True. That's who they signed. They're going by what's selling that's who they you know that's true I mean, that's who they scouted that's what kind of albums they told them to make i mean a lot of these guys had either released stuff or had been bands for years before right. the Britpop scene but i mean you had the blue tones who right. had a number two hit single 
Test, who'd been around since the Lars. Right. Wales got a lot of love in this when you had Catatonia, the Stereophonics. Right. Know, uh, then you had like bands like Embrace. Right. Hurricane Number no. 1 and Heavy Stereo, which would have members who would join Oasis right. in the future. Uh, Cooler Shaker. Yes. Ocean Color Scene, which was seen as as kind of... What's the best way to say this? If Oasis were the kings of Britpop, then Ocean Color Scene were the princes. Right. They were well-respected amongst the Britpop community, the Britpop fans. Right. You know, they, they were well-liked. Scotland had a couple of bands in Manson and Travis, and you had uh, the Supernaturals, too. Travis were a weird band in the sense that they started off with the Britpop sound. Right. And sound like they abandoned it halfway through their first album. <laughs> I mean, the first half of that Travis album... You, you, they, they, you... they fooled the AR guy enough to give him the budget <laughs> to record the album. He stuck around while they recorded the first couple of tracks. And, and then <laughs> once he, you know, popped off down the road, they did what they wanted to do. Exactly. I mean, that first Travis album has got 12 tracks. And eight of them you've got to turn the headphones down to listen right. to them. But the other four... Brilliant. A Travis. Uh, what you'd expect of a Travis track. Right. More than us, fantastic. Uh, you had Radiohead and the Manic still releasing music. And not only that, they were releasing great music. Right. Everything Must Go and OK Computer are considered two of the best British albums made in the 90s that were not Britpop. Right. As we found out last week, Radiohead and not Britpop. Uh, <laughs> and it's you know it it's it's going on these these two these two bands have you know have brought out the best of themselves and they show you don't need to be right up the enemy you don't need to be this this that and the other the man had their own tragedy during that time when they lost uh, Richie Edwards right he was a songwriter and he was a rhythm guitarist and he was kind of the you know the 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 he was the soul of the band. Right. Now, thankfully for them, Nicky Wire is also a great lyricist. It was like, I don't say they didn't miss a beat. They did miss a beat, but... Right. Th- they staggered a they, little bit, they, but they, they were, got back They on. were salvageable. Yeah. And, you know, they released some critically acclaimed stuff after that. While it was going great for those outside the Britpop bubble... Right. Uh, the three main players of Britpop had kind of, well, mixed fortunes, let's say... Right. After 1997. Uh, Blur tore, almost tore itself apart. Yes. I mean, uh, Graham Coxon in particular was upset with the direction that the band was taking musically with Damon Albarn leading the charge. Mm-hmm. Alex James' Playboy lifestyle. You know, uh, they did a gig in Italy. Not a gig, sorry. They did a TV performance in Italy, which was basically they had a roadie and a cardboard cutout. Damon Albarn and uh, Dave Roundtree, the drummer, who is the most interesting man in rock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good guy, oh, goodness. I, 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 I'm sure. So uh, what happened was, is that Graham Coxon wrote a letter to Damon Albarn. Right. Not sent a text, not sent a DM or an email. He actually hand wrote a letter, put a stamp on it. Because that's how we did it back in the day. Rolled. And, you know, basically... Basically said, look, I'm going to burn your record collection. Uh, we need to change sound and we need to make music that scares people again. Right. And they completely cut themselves off from the Britpop scene and went to Norway to record their next album. Which, if you listen to, it's my favorite Blur album. It's called Blue. Yes, that's my favorite one, too. I can't say the, the word that, 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 that means it's like epitomous or something like that. I can't. I, you know, when 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 a band releases an album by the same name, yes, I can't. I don't know the word for it because I'm uneducated. Uh, 
It's it's just self-titled. It's self-titled. Self-titled. Thank you. I couldn't seriously. I could not think of the word. Ah, uh, uh, it's two con- words hyphenated. There you go. Yes. Oasis continue to live the high life and continue to you know let everybody eat cake. Yes. And uh, they release "Be Here Now." Mm-hmm. Um. A weird, weird, weird dichotomy goes on with Be Here Now, because like The Great Escape, it was universally, oh my god, isn't this chewing gum wrapper great? Yes. And then after a couple of listens, the critics were like, actually, it's not as good as we thought it was. And Well, the thing is, is that everybody was just so hungry for more Oasis at the time. And so when you put it on, and you've got those, you know, the big sound, uh, you know, uh, of, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the big it forever intro. And, and outro. Right. And, I mean, it's it's got it's got a huge... I mean, Noel was going for that Phil Spector sound, and he got it. He got it. But in unfo- spades. But unfortunately, the songs weren't strong enough. Some were. I mean, here's the thing. Noel was still coming out of his um, Dr. Seuss lyric yeah. era. And you That's can... True. I mean, Magic Pie... I hate that song. I I actually like that one. Um, they released a song called "Stay Young" at the same time that was kicked off for Magic Pie. That's why I hate Magic Pie because "Stay Young," it was the most I guess you can say it was the most positive and uplifting song that that they recorded during that era. Right, and it was shunted off to a B side to accommodate Magic Pie, which was dreadful. I'm I'm sorry. He's such a snob. Well, and, well, here's the thing though: the first couple albums that Oasis released. Everything was all bombastic and, you know, positive lyrics. Yeah? Right. And Stay Young is probably the most positive he's ever written. Right. Magic Pie was so dreary. Well, I mean, he wasn't going to be that, that kid in Manchester forever. No, he wasn't. But again, you know? you know, the, the song Stay Young was... Right. Wow, you know, and that's why I don't like Magic Pie. Uh, <laughs> but not only that, the songs weren't strong enough to put on an album so they overproduced it uh the band have since said that this is the sound of five guys in the studio on coke not giving a <laughs> that's a direct quote so you know um yes but the strange dichotomy is is while the critics and most of oasis hit be here now liam gallagher and a lot of the fan base love the album they think it's a they think it's a great album is it as good as morning glory and definitely maybe who came before it no, it is the weakest of the three, right. but it is still a damn good album. Right. Well, I mean, and and for a point, that's you know my favorite game, Six Degrees of Separation. Yeah. Who is the 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 actor, the the famous, very popular actor? Some guy called Johnny Depp. Yes. He actually plays on track seven, fading out. Brilliant yes. track. Yes, it is. Um, but not only that, Pulp, they had their own issues too. When the record label booked Studio Town to record Pulp's next album, right. they had one song. Right. So they literally spent a year and a half writing new material and recording it. The problem was Jarvis was completely and utterly partied out. He was suffering from real, real bad depression. And it, it, it And it artistically shows. it shows, because this is hardcore. Wonderful album. My favorite Pulp album, and hands I'm down. I'm in complete agreement with you on that one. Absolutely fantastic. But at that point, you know, the Emperor's New Claws were, were there to see. It. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. There's... Damon, Noel, and Jarvis were kind of standing there completely and utterly naked. Jarvis is like, you're not coming at me with any bullshit at this point. That's it's, right. It's now. And all three albums, Blue, Be Here Now, and uh, This Is Hardcore, right. 
they weren't fun. They weren't as positive as the other albums that they released. They weren't as bombastic. Now, being I was overproduced, but you strip back those lyrics to an acoustic guitar, I mean, and it's very, very, I don't want to say dreary, but it's not as positive and as upbeat. I mean, look, I understand Don't Go Away, but it was written through a very, very emotional time with, for, for Noel Gallagher about uh, Bonehead, Paul Arthur's uh, rhythm guitarist, always says his mother and Noel's mother. The possible cancer scares. Possible cancer them, scares. Yeah. And he wrote the song and it was, you know, really, right. really. Now, yeah, you've got My Big Mouth and Getting Better Man, these two really, yeah, songs. But the rest of this stuff was was a little bit more serious. Here's the thing. Blur, Blur is jaded at this point. Yeah. Um, Jarvis is over it all. Yep. You know, Jarvis is like, I just want to go home and sleep this shit off. Yep. And Oasis are like, we're just going to say stoned as long as we can. Yep. And ironically, it's fading out. The, the song that, that Depp is on. Yeah. Sounds like it could be on the soundtrack for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's the whole album. The whole album is like an audition to be on the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas soundtrack. It was like they could see the pink elephants in the studio. <laughs> right. I mean, literally, like the whole album is, is nothing but, I mean... Hunter S. Thompson is good, would would, yeah. would have dug the whole thing, and and that's true. But it just to me, it just wasn't fun. It wasn't. Well, no, that's the whole point. And what happens when things fall out? Creates a vacuum, and in came the vacuum. Came everybody's favorite five of the Spice Girls and yes. Robbie Williams. Okay, of take that. Okay, so we're talking about the Spice Girls. I'm going to interject something here. Okay, something relevant to like today. Okay. Yes, you should know where I'm going with this. Is this the KFC thing? Yes, it is. <laughs> Go on Twitter. Look at KFC's handle, at KFC, right? KFC only follow 11 people. Five Spice Girls and six dudes named Herb. 11 Herbs and 11 Spices. 11 Herbs and Spices. Their pun game is, I on, is on point. I fell out. <laughs> I rolled. I laughed till I had a stitch in my side. It was, And then I realized... I wasn't following the Spice Girls. And I still am not. So, uh... <laughs> I've rectified that situation. Not for my Twitter handle. Uh, <laughs> but, but in this vacuum... Right. Uh, Robbie Williams... Let's, let's give a bit of background on Robbie Williams because he is an important part of the downfall. Uh, during the height, you know, he left, take that... Right. And started a solo career. Right. For those, those in America not, list, not, not knowing who take that are... Imagine NSYNC and then Justin Timberlake leaves. Right. Oh, that did happen. Uh, right. But instead of Justin Timberlake becoming the superstar, NSYNC tried, tried to carry on. And at the same time, Justin Timberlake is hanging out with Kurt Cobain, Michael Stipe, and, right. you know, all these rock stars and trying to cultivate an image. It, well, and that one song, uh, for those who aren't familiar, we that one song was really popular over here. The, um, the, uh, is want you back? Yeah. Yeah. Wash you back. Uh, <laughs> um, Stop making fun of the fact that I'm snotty. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's if you get that reference, you get a million Brian parts too. Uh, so, like, he started hanging out with Oasis. He started hanging out with the Verve. Right. If you own Don't Look Back in Anger or have downloaded legally a copy of the Don't Look Back in Anger single and Oasis cover of Come On Feel the Noise. Right. By Slade, not Quiet Riot, Slade, that's the snobbery coming Snob. out. Snob. Uh, <laughs> you'll hear Robbie Williams in as doing backing vocals of that track. They literally gathered everybody they could in the studio to record the last 
last bit of it. So he was kind of tight with the band at that time. That did not last. That's another story for another day. That Everybody ha- wanted to be tight with him at that time. That that happened in the 2000s. We'll talk about that another time. But um, his debut album came out. Right. And it looked like he was trying to... I want to say leech on the scene, but latch onto it definitely. Right. He was. He wanted to be. He he wanted to be a rock star rather than a pop star. Now he wrote some poppy poppy songs and then some rocky rocky songs and right. kind of you know it it was your average bog standard pop star wannabe rock star album. Yes. And then he released a song called Angels. It charted here too. You'll know it when you hear it. You'll know it when you hear it. In fact, we'll probably link link the video. Yeah. On the social media sites. Um. It was a piano-based anthem with guitar solos, solos, with guitar solos, <laughs> personal lyrics, yes, epic chorus, strings, yes. The bands of Britpop, Jarvis Cocker, Noel Gallagher, kind of collectively, kind of like when they heard the phrase "I hate myself and I want to die," everybody collectively said, "We got to write better, positive stuff." As soon as they heard Angels for the first time on the radio, they said, "We're done. That's it." It's over. If pop acts are making these kind of songs, manufactured pop acts are making these kind of songs as good as we are, it's over. It's done. And the music press kind of picked up very, very quickly on the fact that maybe we've got something with this guy here and we can use this guy to our advantage. Because remember, a lot of these Britpop acts, they weren't sycophants to the enemy, to Q Magazine, to uh, Melody Maker or whatever. Heck, when they came over to the US and did Rolling Stone Magazine, uh, you know, usually they do 10-hour photo shoots, and the British band's like, you've got two hours, and then we're leaving. Right. You know, so so it was very, very like that, but with, with a guy like Robbie Williams, and I guess the Spice Girls, there were people who they could manipulate back. Well, they had been trained. Yeah. I mean, they we, had been, you know. We get them back into, we now dictate right. what you like, as opposed to the other way around. And like I said, a lot of people believed that Angels was the official death of Britpop. Now... <laughs> That was 98, and the movement kind of sped it along, spread right. along 2001. But that was definitely, that's the cliff. That's where everybody starts falling off the cliff. Do you agree with that? I can see it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's and, you know, this is going to ruin my snobbery street cred, but I actually like Angels. I think it's, I think it's a really, really good song. It's, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a well-put-together song. And, and I mean, and Robbie... Whether anybody likes him personally or not, he 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 was quite talented. I mean, he's he can't. He, this is the thing. I show respect to any musician, right? Who is who can play instruments and write their own material, right? This is going to shock you, including my snobbery. I have respect for Justin Bieber. Yes, he's a drummer. Yes, a guitarist. Yes, a pianist, and he writes his own songs. Yeah, the whether douche like is music, high. Whether, whether you like his music or not, you love his attitude or not. He writes his own he stuff. Does, he does all that things. If I don't respect him, that's hypocritical of me. Right. No, I don't like his attitude, and I don't like the music he puts out. Right. Same thing but, with Megan Trainer. Yeah. But as far as a musician goes, right. he has respect for me. Right. You know, no, I don't like him. He's a little who <laughs> deserves to get whooped, but that's another time for another day. <laughs> I don't know if I should cut you that should, or not. You really don't like him if you called him a <laughs> Well, there you go. There you uh, go. <laughs> I'm in Britpop mode. He's a Right? Um, You're going to have to bleep so much ish. I know. So much what? Ish. Oh, okay. See, I, I self-correct. Yeah. So you don't have to bleep me. I'm an audio producer. I can bleep as much as I want. I can bleep stuff and make people think that we're swearing. Well, bleepity bleep bleep. Yeah. 
That's why R2-D2 is the most vulgar man in movies. <laughs> uh, after being here now, mm-hmm. this is Hardcore and Blur. Right. Were kind of met with the, eh, reaction from the music press. Right. And the Spice Girls and Robbie Williams took over. What happened was the UK music scene started to get a little bit more mellow. It was led by what they called post pop, which was more melodic, acoustic guitar, softer rock. Right. Led by the likes of Travis. Uh-huh. Then you had Embrace of the Stereophonics kind of morphing into more Stereophonics stuff. are awesome. I love the Stereophonics. Didn't used to. I'll be completely honest. I did not like the Stereophonics because I took some of the lyrics out of context. And then right. once I found the context, I realized, oh, they're actually better than I gave them credit for. Right. And I'm a converted fan. But the biggest, to <clears throat> this day, post-Britpop act, Coldplay. Yes. Coldplay. Now, yeah, now, but Chris and them were friends with Noel and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is... This is we talked about respect earlier. Right. This is why I don't understand the dislike of Coldplay. Right. Because, you know, I'm a big fan of Travis. I'm a big fan of Travis. And it, it is overexposure. Coldplay and Nickelback. Now, uh, like, you mention those two things musically and people jump on you like, man, they're awful. Man, they're awful. They're basic. Let's let's not jump around. They're, they're, they're the pumpkin spice lattes of, of rock. They're the, you know, there's a band named the Eagles of Death Metal. Yes. Right? And that's named after a joke because, um, what the, I can't remember the guy's name. Who's the, Josh Holm? Mm-hmm. He was listening to some death metal bands. They were, you know, they were, they were, his friends were right making him listen to death metal bands. And they put this one ba- act on and he goes, man, this sounds kind of dull compared to the rest of them. He said, yeah, well, these guys are kind of like, I don't know, the eagles of death metal. Right. Right. Well, it's kind of that, it, it's that basic you know what they're going to do, very middle-of-the-road kind of stuff. And Coldplay originally wouldn't like that. No. They morphed into that after the success of Travis. Well, also, when Chris Martin married Gwyneth Paltrow. But they were already starting to get hated before they even dated. I mean, that, that 2001 album, 2002 album, it had some really, really good moments in it, but it, it was already starting to be rejected. I will say this, though. I mean, the best thing musically that happened... Um, with, you know, what, before they were together and then had their conscious uncoupling, whatever. And the, they split up. Yeah. Um, the, musically, the best thing to come out of that relationship was Fix You. Yeah. I adore I that song. That. I, I mean, that. I hate the fact that her dad had to die for him to write it, but still. True. It was brilliant, you know, yeah. And look, like I said, I'm not going to hate on Coldplay. I'm not going to hate on Travis. When you name your kid after one of your songs, not name a no. No, yeah, yeah. he named he named he not named, not write a song for your kid. He, he he wrote a song called Moses and named his kid Moses. After it was a B side, y'all. B side. <laughs> That's why he gets my respect. It's a B side, right? But all joke all joking aside, it's unwarranted hate just because right. they're overexposed. They are hips band. He named his child after a B side. Yeah. How much more? Hipster, do you need to be? You have to appear in a Harry Potter movie with half members of your band and half members of Radiohead. Okay, no, sorry. <laughs> okay, but um, Jarvis could be a hipster though. Yeah, and I mean, like, like you know, Chris Martin himself said that he's a poor man's Fran Healy. Yes, and you know, Fran Healy is a fantastic. Fran Healy is freaking amazing. He is. He is my spirit animal. The Manchester Preachers start releasing more material, and they get more poppy, right. while more obscure with their uh, political statements i Great. guess you can say um you know and then it just it it just all fell apart it imploded very very quickly between 1998 and 2000 right and you know blue release 13 
with which was basically the breakup to Justine Freshman later. Oh god. And I like the album, but I can see why a lot of people didn't. And then boom, all of a sudden it was it was gone. Right. I mean Noel Gallagher came off came off drugs, the Verve blew up, Pulp blew up. I mean it just it just it rose so quickly. It was so big for a very, very short amount of time. It had to burn out. And it burnt out It burnt out as quick as it got there. I think the three stages was it took a year and a half to rise, a year and a half at the peak, and then six months for it to die. It's a cycle, yeah. Which, you know, considering how big the scene got, it was weird that it just, it just fizzled out as quickly as it did. It's like, you know... They all do that. You know... So, you know... And now I have Hey Hey, my mic stuck in my head, but right. go ahead. So, I mean, how was... How, how would, I've spoken about a lot of bands over the last two weeks. How were they over this side of the world? Uh, let's look here. Let's see here. I mean... Are we talking about... Now, we, we've talked last week about how your, your regular Britpop ba- uh, bands... You know, who would actually recognize right over here? So I'm not going to recap all of no, that. No, you're not going to recap. Oasis, Pulp, Blur. Right. But go, go into your, um, the, the second wave, right? Yeah. Most people here, unless you were just, you know, in the know or, you know, happened to hang out in the, in the world music section of your, yeah, you know, local music store, um, you might know Kula Shaker. Um, you might know Ocean Color Scene. You might know the Blue Tones. Maybe. You could know Travis-ish. Okay. Maybe. Stereophonics. If you heard a song, you might recognize it. Okay. Um, that's, yeah. I wonder about some people from the first wave, like your casts and your uh, super furry animals and your suede's and your elasticas. I mean, okay, keep in mind, I'm not speaking for all of the U.S. No, 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 and and we just want to be very, very right, clear but about that. I'll, I can just, I can say regionally, unless, again, unless you were in the know, this wasn't getting played on radio. Yeah, that's that's the. the you know what I mean? Yeah. So unless you were. So you're saying the only ones who were majority, I say majority, the only ones that were played on the radio were the likes of Oasis, the likes of Blue on occasion, I mean, I rem- and the likes of the Verve. Right. Well, I remember, um, like, Coolest Shaker on MTV. Okay. Um, Corner Shop. You're not going to count them as Britpop, are you? No, I actually do count them as Britpop. Okay. And I feel embarrassed right now that I did not put them in my list. <laughs> I actually saw them when they opened but, up for Oasis and, in 98. And I've actually seen Corner Shop play live too. Yes. Back in 2002, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, but that was, I mean, I saw them during the thing. Oh, okay. What was funny about the Corner Shop gig was that um, they headlined the Free Cardiff Music Festival. Right. And they played for like an hour and a half. Right. And everybody was getting irritated because they were waiting to hear one song and they closed the set. <laughs> that was a good gig, though, because, yeah, that was a good gig, though, because I got to see uh, Alabama 3. Right. If you don't know who Alabama 3 are, think the Sopranos theme music. Yes. Strangely enough, more than three of them, not from Alabama. Yes. This is five scousers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, over here, Allegedly. I can tell you right now. Suede, regionally, 
Uh, it's iffy if you've heard of them. Well, Paul... Swe- the, the thing is, though, and I said this off care off microphone the other right. day. I'm not a big suede fan. The best thing suede brought to the music world was Elastica, and I will go, I will say that over and over and over again. I'm not a big suede fan, but they brought Elastica, and I like Elastica. Okay, so suede pulp. We've already spoken about that. The Verve, we've already hit that one. Elastica. See, you say Suede brought Elastica. Like, I had not heard of Elastica until I found out that the chick in Elastica and Damon had dated. Well, see, that's another... So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's all, it's all sort of... And that's the weird thing, too, is because Elastica did have a minor success over in the United States before Britpop took off, kind of like in early, late 93, early 94. Right. You know, and and again, they would have fallen under the. I might recognize the song on the radio, but I have no idea who the hell it is. I got you, right? So, um, cast, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. charlatans saying blue tones, blue tones, maybe, um, Oasis and Blur, obviously. Do, do, do. Yeah, I mean. So was the was I say British music invasion? Because that's kind of what it was kind of dubbed over here. It wasn't right. it was because of the new invasion. Ironically, like the biggest band for us, and that would fit your yep. guitar-based, writes-their-own stuff thing, the biggest British band for us at the time, y'all didn't even recognize at all. No. And that's Bush. Yeah, I didn't even realize they were British. And no. so, and, and this is back... When Bush was, you know, that that's when she would have been M- Mrs. Gavin Rossdale instead of yeah. him being Mr. Gwen Stefani. Yeah. I mean, Bush, Bush were, huge. were huge over here. But over there, over y'all there. had no clue who the Crickets. hell they were. Crickets. But they did it opposite. I mean, they came over here to break it over here instead of trying to go, you know. Instead of instead of trying to break through the world, they started off in the hardest place right. to break it. And then, once, and then once, you crack, once you cracked America as a British band, right. cracking the rest of the world is easy. I mean, yeah, the thing about it is, is that had Bush been centered in the UK, Ooh. would they be considered, I mean, glycerine, I mean, look at anything on 16 Stone, you know? Yeah. Would that? That's a good, that's a good question. Tell us or, your thoughts or on would, social media, page, right? Because th- that's going to be the question this week. That, that, that's a great, great or, question. Or do they fit into that weird radio head? Thing. I mean, now they, you know, uh, uh, do they ha- sometimes some people here classify them as grunge. Yeah, Sixteen Stone too. is very grungeish, but the subsequent albums. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's that's a great great point. I think that uh, you know what that's going to be our social media question this week, guys. Would our Bush? Uh, you you're gonna have to phrase the question. <laughs> I'm sorry, because my train. Would you just... consider? Bush, Britpop, if they were based in the UK when they when they broke out. Um, well, let's look at the legacy before we wrap this up because we we have been talking a while. One thing that I do have to say about Britpop, right. while it's not, not while a lot of it did not crack America as much as it was hyped in the UK that it cracked right. America. Oasis sold sixty seven million albums worldwide. Right. Noel got a couple of Rolls Royces, yeah. Noel got a couple of Rolls Royces. Liam got him a couple of, you know, bus tickets. I don't know. <laughs> but um, my point is, 
child support payments. 67 million records. Right. Without really cracking America. Right. That's phenomenal. Well, yeah, but... Can you, can you imagine... Huge like in a, Asia, though. Can you, can you imagine a band like U2, for example? Right. You take their American sales out of the way, uh-huh. and they're around that kind of 60 to 70 million. Right. You take away, you know... So is 60 to 70 million records without cracking America a big deal, or is it just, well, you didn't quite make it? Oasis kind of cracked America. They knocked on the door, got a little crack in, but then you you, know, you fixed the window. Right. They well, bust through. Well, I mean, we we just we have, you know, for for you guys found the 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 Gallagher arrogance charming and endearing. You guys did. We yeah. You've done one straight no. away. I mean, he's he's saying I know I'm not trying to turn this into an Oasis loving, but I mean, you don't hear of too many bands who don't crack a certain country, but yet still play at the biggest venues while they're on tour. Right. When Oasis released Don't Believe the Truth. Right. It didn't crack the top 50, right. I, I believe. No, I could be wrong. Someone correct me if I am. But they sold at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. I mean, to me, that just blew my mind. You it's know, an underground thing. As much as having enough of an underground to sell out Madison Square Garden could be. I mean, there's, bon they didn't Jovi get enough radio play. I mean, Bon Jovi couldn't do that. Bon Jovi couldn't sell no records in the UK, then sell 20,000 tickets to O2. I thought for a second there, I thought you were about to say that Bon Jovi couldn't sell Madison Square Garden. No, I was no, no, like, no, no. <laughs> please, people in New Jersey, don't come burn down my house. No, 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 no. <laughs> bon Jovi are great, as long as they're not doing... um. Direct TV commercials Ugh. that are crashing their legacy. Uh, but anyway, going back to what I was about to say, yes. the legacy of Britpop, however, is this. It inspired a generation of young British musicians, right. myself included. Right. I, I was inspired to pick up the guitar because of stuff like this. The major players of the Britpop scene still record and release music. Right. As of recording, both Gallagher brothers have released new material yeah. in the last couple of weeks. And the Gorillas released a new album. Now the Gorillas are Damon Albarn's pet project. Yes, the reason with I James bring Hewitt. the reason I bring up the Gorillas is because hell froze over in two thousand fourteen. Yes. yes, Paul Weller kind of smacked their heads together, but Noel Gallagher and Damon Albarn are now friends and collaborators. But their daughters are friends, though. That's true. Yeah, and you know Th- that's probably how it all set. But it was weird. Um, because kids tend to be the missing link on that. Because True. They don't care. They don't care. They don't they're, care. Their dads to them. Their their dads the are dads uncool. The dads are the dads. You know, it's like look, no, fix it. Yeah, because I mean, uh, Noel performed on the Gorillas album, the the most recent one. Uh, Noel and Damon actually performed with Paul Weller, singing a blues song. That's the weird part too. <laughs> Noel is actually singing Damon's music, not the other way around. Well, I mean, and, and like I said last episode, uh, Noel was the first person to say back in the day that they weren't an album band, they were a singles yeah, band, and, and they made that. damn good singles. They did. And if they released the singles, house. yeah, well, we can't all be perfect, but if they released a singles box set, he'd be on that in a minute. No, that, and that's true, that's yeah. true. It's just, it was, the, the amount of animosity and, and for lack of a term, insults and bullets thrown between the pair of them. Right. Not only are they friends, but they're collaborating musically together. Well, I mean, also, but I mean, the thing about it is, though, is that everybody's like, okay, well, if Noel and Damon can, you know, patch things up, will Noel and Liam ever be able to? No, no. no, they won't. Play. Oasis will never be back musically. I'm, I'm, I'm betting my house on that right now. So let's before we wrap everything up, the big players, the major players, the right. biggest bands of the era. 
We're just going to run through them real quick. Suede. They carried on making music, but they broke up in 2003 after poor album sales and infighting. Right. Uh, they reunited in 2010 and started making music again. And their most recent album was released in 2016. Right. Uh, Pulp. They broke up in 2003. Right. Jarvis went away and released a few solo albums. And uh, they reunited in 2011 for like a nostalgia tour and, you know, and right. stuff. And then they finally broke up in 2013 forever, ever. Okay. Uh, the Verve broke up even earlier in 1999. The infighting was just too much and they'd split before and this was it. Richard Ashcroft started his own solo career. As I mentioned last week, a lot of the Verve leftover songs were using that first album. Uh, they reformed in 2007, but again, broke up in 2009. Okay. Elastica. They broke up amicably in 2001. So they had, you know, the, their sales went down. They just weren't enjoying it anymore. I don't know what the reason was. But right. in 2001, they, cu- they, they all shook hands, hugged each other, said, we'll see you again, and they broke up. Um, interestingly enough, very few of the musicians in Elastica now play music. Justin Frischman is now an artist and lives in San Francisco. Okay. So, that's that's weird. Uh, Cast broke up in 2001. John Power started his own solo career. But yeah. reformed the band in 2010. And there were whispers of a Lars reunion, too. Um, <laughs> Charlatans, they're still making music. They're still touring. Uh, they, they haven't had really any significant ups or downs. Uh, with the exception of John Brooks passing away from pancreatic cancer, who's their drummer. Mm. Uh, very, very sad day uh, for them. Uh, the Blue Tones, they, their career mirrored Britpop in the sense that they were really hot for the first couple of albums, and when the bottom fell out, it fell out. Right. Um, they, they kind of slowed down and split in 2011, but then they kind of reunited in 2015, and I don't want to say nostalgia act, right. but they are playing a lot of these gigs where, you know, it's the Blue Tones, Ocean Color Scene, and right. Shade 7 replaying the 90s, you know? And if I could get a ticket... Those tours? Yeah. If you guys want to come to Shreveport, Louisiana, I'll be... I'll look, I'll pay I'll pay you to come over here myself. I want to see you through three. You know, I've seen Blue Tones live, you know? Yes. Uh, twice. Uh, <laughs> uh, Oasis. <laughs> they actually... Pull themselves up. Now, despite Sarah being the only person on the planet who likes standing on the shoulder of giants... Uh, standing on the I sho- am not the only person in the world. Okay. Sarah being one of the five people on the oh, planet. Oh, you. And one of the ten people who bought it. Uh, <laughs> no, but they, uh, they kind of... that two th- From 2000 to 2003, Oasis' music was low. I mean, standing on the shoulder of giants and heathen chemistry were not that good. They were weak in a lot of areas. They had some, they had some great individual moments, but on a whole... It just, it wasn't to be. That was until 2005, they kind of re-hit their stride again. Please note that John's opinions do not represent the, <laughs> the opinions of the entire... No, I, yeah. th- th- they don't, but at the same time, this is narrative. I this is you. not, this is, th- this, look, for the record, this is not opinion, this is narrative. This is the popular narrative. Now, I could give my own opinions, I could be here all day, but this is just narrative. <laughs> Uh, they kind of re-hit their form in 2005 in terms of, you know, their sound right. and their albums and the, and the critical acclaim. And they kept making music until 2009. Right. Where a big old fight in the dressing room between the Gallagher brothers. I'm shocked that the Gallagher <laughs> brothers were fighting before a concert. Uh, what happened then is that Liam would form BDI, which right. was basically Oasis minus Noel. 
And they would split in 2014 where Liam would start doing his own solo stuff. Right. Uh, Noel, Noel would start his own solo career called Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. And his albums have kind of evolved more from the traditional dead rock sound right. to more and more experimental. And his new album sounds psychedelia. And so far, <laughs> I'm not impressed. I'm not unimpressed either. It's different. Liam's album, however, I am very unimpressed. And I don't care what people say. It's it's bad. Um, Blur, however, Blur lost the war, but they're the ones that have come out with the most respect, as you mentioned last week. Uh, they took a hiatus in 2004. Right. After they released uh, music without Graham Coxon. Right. Which, you couldn't have Oasis without both Gallagher brothers. You couldn't have Blur without Damon Albarn and Graham Coxon. It's like having you 2 without Bono or The Edge. Right. You had to have them both. You just can't do it. Right? Uh, so they kind of, you know, they went their separate ways, and they kind of returned to tour in 2008 on and off as a full band. Right. They released a brand new album in 2015. In between all of this... Graham Coxon released some solo albums, you know, just for fun, I guess. Uh, Two Wood. And Damon Albarn founded the Gorillas, And the Gorillas are a worldwide smash, worldwide audience, right. you know. Uh, the music itself is now looked on in the same way as our parents look at the 70s. <laughs> and, and I laugh at that, but when you think about it, when we were growing up and when this was going on, all of our parents were talking about these bands from the 70s, these right. bands from the 70s. Well, now we're talking about these bands from the 90s, right. you know, it's the, it's the same deal. But it's looked upon fondly, and the reason why is because after you take all the hype away, I take all the critics away, and the movement away, and the baggies, and the hats, and the sunglasses, and you're just not left with the music. And when you listen back to it, the music sounds good. Yes. Um, but it was definitely the defining sound for any young Brit of that generation. Definitely. Everyone wants to be a rock star. Well, there you go. There you have it. So, Sarah, thank you for spending the last long time. <laughs> oh my word, this is going to be the longest episode ever. Um, and I'm not going to, this is the thing, I'm not going to cut out any, impo- I'm going to cut out, you know, the mistakes that we made in the outtakes. I've, I've coughed and sneezed. He's going to have to, yeah. uh, that way I don't blow so, out your eardrums. But this is going to probably going to be a good solid hour and 15 minute conversation. But all of it's relevant. It's been a long journey. Yes. It's taken three episodes, but we finally, Ooh. mercifully, we are over talking about Britpop. So, we have two social media questions this week. The first one, Sarah iterated, was about Bush, which is... If Bush were to have come out of the UK itself, meaning if they would have recorded their first album and promoted themselves as a British act in Britain... If 16 Stone would have been promoted in Britain, would Bush be considered Britpop? And the second question is more of a nostalgia question. There is no right answer. There is no wrong answer. What was your favorite band, album, and why of the Britpop era? Just a little nostalgia piece. There's no tribal. If you guys get on the social media sites and stop being tribal about it, I will shut you down. Because that's not what we're here. We're here for some good memory. We're here for some fun. And who did we not mention? We and who not... were some fringe acts? That I say fringe. They were in the outskirts of Britpop. Well, you mentioned Corner Shop. Corner Shop, Portishead, Placebo. I wouldn't consider those Britpop, though. I'd consider Portishead more no. on the Radiohead scouts. Right. Scout I'm saying, oh, that's why I said fringe. Oh, okay. I mean, you um, know. We mentioned Prodigy. We mentioned yes. um, Chemical Brothers. Yes. Again, like I said, just who... Fatboy Slim. 
Yeah. We didn't mention him. Um, we didn't mention some of the, the, the acts that came afterwards, like Ash and Feeder, who were not popular during the movement, right. but as soon as the movement died off, they had a surging popularity, but they were always good. That makes sense? Right. So anyone that you can think of, too, write in and let John know. And you guys probably will not hear from me to this extent until after the first of the year. Yep, after the first of the year. Maybe, maybe not. But uh, we will be debuting a new segment at some point before the end of the year. <laughs> Sarah's going to have her own commentary section. Yes, because Let's... I have opinions. And if you know me, you know I have many opinions. And they're all worth listening to. <laughs> 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 Sarah, it has been an absolute privilege and pleasure. <laughs> thank you, dear. And uh, thank you for not threatening to divorce me through the thing. Uh, it has been great having you on, and we look forward to having you back on here sometime in the future. No problem. You guys have a great evening. Destination, London. January 29th, 1997. Oasis songsmith Noel Gallagher gives his thoughts today on the debacle surrounding East 17's Brian Hervey. Mr. Hervey appeared to condone the use of ecstasy, which is considered a no-no in 1990s Britain. When asked about the second of Mr. Hervey, Mr. Gallagher commented, There are people in the Houses of Parliament, men, who are bigger heroin addicts and cocaine addicts than anyone in this room right now. Uh, uh, oh, oh dear. Um, Mr. Gallagher's comments would not end there, however. As soon as people realise that the majority of people in this country take drugs, then the better off we will all be. It's not a scandalous sensation or anything like that. Not when you've got our government selling arms to people who would go out and kill probably relatives of somebody in this room. Drugs are like getting up and having a cup of tea in the morning. Mr. Gallagher's comments were shocking at the time. Later in his life, he would comment, Not my finest hour. I failed to see what Mr. Gallagher was talking about. The decisions of Her Majesty's government in the year of our Lord, 1997, were 100% proper. And in no way would a politician use the powers of the government for his own personal or political gain. How dare you accuse the Tory government of that, sir? However, there was some good from Mr. Gallagher's comments. Poor and working class drug use was highlighted by the media for the first time in this magnitude. Funds and education were established for treatment and prevention. And while Mr. Gallagher did indeed stir a hornet's nest, his remarks had a positive result. Okay, guys, we've got a few more minutes to go. And again, thank you for taking the time to listen. I know it's been long. Hopefully, we're not going to do these segments as long in the future. But, I mean, if we do, I'm probably going to put them on YouTube completely uncut and just trim this down to, you know, 30, 45 minutes or something like that. But um, I wanted to give you guys an update on Movember. As it is November 1st, I have posted the picture of me looking like a potato this morning. I look like a potato with mad scientist hair. It's fantastic. Um, but I'm actually making a start. In the description is a link to the Movember fundraiser page. We, again, we are aiming to raise $100. I, myself, am pledging 25 bucks, and I want you guys to chip in as much as you can to help us reach that goal. Again, last week, I mentioned why it's important to me, and I've got a blog post explaining why it's important to me, too. It's a really, really good cause. If you guys want to help, donate. If you were, if you were capable of growing a mustache, join in. It'll be a lot of fun. If you have a spare couple of bucks in your pocket, put it towards the cause. That's that's what we need. We need cold hard cash, and you know that's what I'm looking forward to. And also, if you do take part, post a picture of your push broom for us. You know, let's compare. Let's see what we've got. Again, as I mentioned in the in the main segment, it's a bit of fun. Let's have some fun. Let's not you know be tribal about anything. You know, so if you are growing one for the sake of the charity, let's go ahead and have a look at it because you know 
it, it's a great cause and you know every little helps as they say again if you are on social media if you're on facebook twitter tumblr google plus all of our links are in the description Please like and share the pages. We, you know, we are looking for a drive to get more people. Uh, we did have, uh, we are into three figures in terms of downloads. And I'm completely humbled by that. I didn't think it would be five episodes before we got that. I thought it would be, you know, 25. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, yeah, because that's how much I, I, I that's how much I think people think of me. Uh, but no, we are growing and I want to grow quicker. And, you know, I'm looking forward to you guys giving me your feedback and everything like that. Uh, this week's social media question, we actually have two. The first one is about Bush. Uh, if Bush were around in the United Kingdom at the same time as they were in America, would they be considered Britpop? And the second social media question is more of a nostalgia thing. Is like, what was your favorite memories of the bands and artists and albums that we've mentioned during these last three weeks? Uh, you know, it could be the day they all split up and went away. Or it could be, you know, the, the very t- first time that you heard... Wonderwall as opposed to the 20,000th time we feared it, you know, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, um, it's looking good, and, you know, I want to hear what you guys have to say about that. Next week, we move away from music, and we return to the world of film. I'm going to be rejoined by Greg as we sit down and take a look at Groundhog Day, perhaps one of the most underrated funny movies of the 90s, and definitely one of the most intelligent funny movies of the 90s. Also, keep your eye out for Sunday on our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search Because Maybe Podcast. Uh, we have a special exclusive short coming to you featuring uh, the young'un in the family who uh, has who badgered me to listen to the Mario review we did a couple of weeks ago. And he has a couple of points that he would like to raise. So uh, we're going to stick a microphone in front of him and see if he can mumble his way through it. And No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he, we're going to stick a microphone in front of him and we're going to see what he has to say. See if I was correct or if I was incorrect. But um, yeah, we are going to put more and more bonus content on our YouTube channel. And probably, like I said, um, in the future, when it comes to giant pieces that we had kind of like this week instead of it being over an hour over 50 60 70 minutes you know we probably trim out the fat and put the whole thing uh completely i don't want to say uncut but uh you know completely unedited from uh, none of the content edited out as it may be right now but that's something i'm going to think on here in the next couple of weeks so we look forward to seeing you next week and we hope that you have a fantastic couple of days have a good one guys Um...